You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. Are there alternatives to finger sticking for patients living with diabetes? Joining us to discuss promising research for alternative methods of measuring glucose levels is assistant professor in the School of Biological Health and Systems Engineering and the Biodesign Institute at Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona, Dr. Jeffrey LaBelle. Dr. LaBelle, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for having me. We know that self-monitoring of blood glucose where uh, an individual with diabetes has to prick their finger can be pretty challenging, and people typically don't test as much as they really should to let the caregivers know what to do with their medications. What are the typical barriers uh, you've seen? Uh, Yeah, we've um, talked to a lot of clinicians and a lot of patients, and one of the major complaints has been the pain associated with the uh, finger prick. And a secondary was uh, too much paraphernalia, carrying around the alcohol wipes, the lancets, the sensors, the meters. So we were trying to find an alternative way to render less paraphernalia and hopefully in a less painful way for the uh, patient. You know what? Um, when I think of the, one of the biggest barriers, it's really self-monitoring of blood glucose. And then the doctor will label a patient as non-compliant if they didn't test, quote-unquote, four times a day and, you know, for the past three months. And so it, it is a barrier. So I, I really applaud the work you're doing in this area. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, we are working on a non-invasive uh, tear glucose sensor that basically would act similarly to the uh, self-monitoring blood glucose meters, uh, except that you would, instead of pricking your finger, you would just basically touch it to the white part of your eye, the conjunctiva. It takes the, um, the uh, tear fluid that's already on the eye, and it just uses a very, very small volume of that. Uh, there's actually studies that show if you induce tearing, it actually is uh, problematic. So we try to avoid that as much as possible. Give us an idea of the technology, and maybe uh, one step backwards, what is the current technology with these meters? I know it's glucose oxidase for most of them. Right, right. Uh, as far as the enzyme goes, uh, a lot of people are starting to switch to uh, glucose dehydrogenase, uh, FAD cofactored. Um, there's finding that it's a, a little bit um, more accurate than the glucose oxidase. Uh, the sensor itself is that typical sensor. It's has the um, electron mediators and the enzyme all on top of the sensor. Uh, But where we uh, altered our device was we put on top of it a fluidic chamber uh, made out of like a thermoplastic silicone. And inside that chamber is a polyurethane plug, and that's actually the part that touches the eye uh, for less than a few seconds. This uh, plug is um, highly absorbent and allows the tear fluid to to become wicked off of the eye and then the tear fluid travels down the fluidic chamber. And then the uh, assay is pretty much um, very similar to regular SMBGs at that point. So you would walk around with a meter just like the ones we use nowadays? Right, right. But you won't have to have your lancets or alcohol swabs or anything like that. You just have the meter and the sensor. That's interesting because I know the FDA now is really being cautious about 
uh, interpatient use and transmission of hepatitis with these finger stickers and and a lot of the um, uh, transmission of other diseases and this would this would get around that issue as well now how what kind of clinical studies have you done? Is this something that's going to happen in our lifetime? Um, exa- uh, actually, we hope so. Uh, the, the whole idea behind this is to uh, translate a uh, commercial product uh, very quickly uh, to market rather than uh, go after the high hanging fruit. We're going for the low uh, hanging fruit and uh, trying to come up with a device that would be ready in a few years. Uh, presently, we've published our, our findings uh, from benchtop experiments, uh, basically starting with uh, spike samples of glucose and making sure that it's accurate. Um, you know, and, and we have moved to some model testing where we uh, have sculptured uh, eyeballs in uh, the face and tested it, you know, for ergonomics and uh, other metrics like that, uh, flu- tear fluid flow rates. Um, we are just presently moving into our uh, animal studies. What kind of animal studies have you done and how accurate is compared to the regular glucose meters? Tear fluid actually has been studied since 1937 or so. Uh, a lot of research had been done with humans. I think the animal model system that we're using is uh, the white New Zealand rabbit. Uh, this has been studied by others as well and found to be uh, fairly consistent with blood glucose. Uh, there are some problems, like I mentioned earlier, inducing tears will cause you know, rubbing of the eyes or holding an onion on the eye. Uh, they've actually studied that and found that there is a stress response by the body which increases the glucose levels at the eye. And so there are some, you know, issues with uh, overdoing it. So our, our whole design has been around quickly, uh, rapidly taking a sample off the eye before those, um, or, well, in case uh, someone scratches their eye, uh, we'll prevent that from uh, messing up our signals. Well, what are some of the barriers to uh, achieving success with this type of technology? I think the biggest barriers nowadays is uh, in these economic times is probably financing. Um, we're, we're lucky to have a uh, local nonprofit, uh, BioSL, uh, assist us with uh, continuing this research with some funding. And uh, I think I think that's been our biggest challenge is really just taking it to that next level with you know the funding. Uh, everybody wants to see the the next stages of development and see what the results are. Uh, before we actually are able to secure like a, an NIH-funded project or probably attract big big pharma or somebody like that. They really want to see our results. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jeffrey LaBelle. We are discussing promising new research into alternatives for self-monitoring of blood glucose. Well, we talked about the financial challenges, but in terms of the major challenges to this device, what kind of barriers are you reaching there? One of the major challenges off the bat was the level of uh, tear glucose. Uh, glucose in tears is 10 to 100 times lower than in blood, so your enzymatic assay or detection of that glucose has to be a lot tighter. Uh, typically at that, that level, uh, in the case of the blood glucose, you'd be the hypoglycemic uh, reproducibility of the sensors is a, uh, is a significant challenge, and um, we've been fe- uh, faced with a lot of challenges at that lower end. Um, the evaporation of the sample—that's that's one of the things literature has really uh, varied on. We've found um, you're taking maybe you know, one to five microliters of tear fluid, and most sensors in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s even uh, required larger volumes. 
and then the evaporation of the sample skewed a lot of the data that was measured at that time. Wow. So just to summarize, you know, you're you're working on a device that you take fluid from the eye and just like any glucose meter, you, you have it on a strip and it gives you a number and you don't have to prick your finger. So, I mean, and, and you're, you've gotten to animal studies. Let's use the rest of the time on the show to talk about other alternative applications. Uh, there are people that are looking at contact lenses as a solution. And I think it was uh, Sanford Asher's group at UPIT that started a colorimetric contact lens that changes color uh, when you become hyper or hypoglycemic. Um, but it's very, you know, early stage. And another researcher, Parvez, is working on having all the electronics on board uh, the sensor on the contact lens. And these are just, you know, great um, technologies that they're working on. But we, we've actually tried to make implantable in the um, lacrimal gland in the tear duct. We've actually tried to insert electrodes and measure tear fluid that way. But the technology is very limited by the electronics. So how do you get that data off of the device that's on the eye or in the duct? So we went with our approach to try and make something that was more short range and get it to the market quicker and help people sooner. Yeah, now I've had some research experience with a group in Arizona and a group in Northern California where they're using um, a mid-infrared sensor that you hold to the skin and you have to go through all kinds of layers, but it gives you an estimate of the glucose. And I can tell you, uh, Jeff, they've had so many uh, pushbacks along the way where they have problems with skin thickness, skin color, um, and getting an accurate value. You know, when they're testing it with paired samples. Um, you mentioned before we started the show that you did some research in this area as well. Can you comment on that? One of the problems is uh, the weight changes that people may exhibit. Uh, if you have people that are... Um, uh, maybe getting a little bit more sun than normal. There's a lot of different challenges. Uh, from person to person, uh, you get skin tone, uh, the thickness uh, of the uh, adipose layer to uh, hair even on the arm can cause a lot of interference with some of these devices. So uh, I, I've seen other research where people have used breath or saliva or even sweat as an attempt to find a non-invasive means. But the variance of those sample sources have caused so many problems that most people usually find out the variability is uh, very, very high. Uh, the FDA is now trying to have a push for even more uh, reproducible uh, measurements of glucose. I think currently it's 20%. I read an article recently where they're trying to ask for 15% uh, reproducibility. So you know, this is really imposing some challenges for the community. Yeah, that's imposing challenges for the glucose meters. In fact, uh, I think for blood sugars less than 70, they want 10%. And uh, so I think this is going to just raise the bar a little bit higher. Well, in closing, please give our listeners some uh, optimistic comments of when do you think some of these new technologies are going to come out and you don't have to prick your finger and squeeze the blood out and uh, endure the hassles with that. Oh, well, you know, we're hoping if the uh, studies we're presently conducting will go well, that we'll be moving to uh, limited patient studies with our partners over at the Mayo Clinic Arizona. And, uh, you know, so for some people to be, hopefully within a year, we'll be helping some people uh, going further afield into the larger market, you know, the FDA. Uh, we, we have to go through uh, a lot of testing until we're, they're confident that it's a, a safe and, um, you know, good alternative to SMBG. So probably the three to five year route. I'd like to thank our guest, Assistant Professor in the School of Biological Health and Systems Engineering and 
the Biodesign Institute at Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona, Dr. Jeffrey LaBelle. Dr. LaBelle, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. In last week's class, we talked about how diabetes affects the whole person, and we left off with an important question. Are we looking at every part of diabetes? Uh, to help us answer this question, I've invited one of my colleagues as a guest speaker, Dr. Jackie Brennan, who has been practicing endocrinology for over 25 years. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here to discuss a key issue in diabetes, whether or not we're looking at the whole picture. As you know, sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. Weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction are also part of the problem. Specifically, I'd like to talk about GLP-1 and how it impacts multiple systems affected by diabetes. Can anyone tell me more about it? Yes, Jamie, go ahead. GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 are critical to glucose control. Exactly. In a glucose-dependent manner, GLP-1 stimulates the beta cells in the pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibits the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. Anyone know what else it does? What about you, Sam? Yeah, doesn't it help control weight by slowing gastric emptying and inducing a feeling of satiety? Yes, and GLP-1 may also play a role in improving beta cell function, a key to slowing diabetes progression. But why is this so important? It's because at diagnosis, type 2 diabetes patients have already lost 50% of beta cell function. Well, isn't impaired GLP-1 physiology also part of the problem in diabetes? Yes, that's a great point. People with type 2 diabetes may have impaired GLP-1 activity and or impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. This could contribute to problems that develop over time. That's why the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. GLP-1 regulates blood sugar in a glucose-dependent manner, may help control weight, and may improve beta cell function. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about the latest treatment available from Novo Nordisk, please visit glp1analog.com.